Will, one of the pastors here at New Life Press, and we are continuing along in a series looking at the letter of Philippians. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 1. But if not, you can go ahead and look up on the screen. And if you are able, I want to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 11, and I'm going to read to verse 26. Philippians 1, 11 to 26. This is God's Word for us here today. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And this is God's word. You could go ahead and take your seats. Well, the Apostle Paul uh, continues uh, along in this letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi. And if you're joining us for the first time, this is our second message in this series called The Journey to Joy. And in this particular passage that I just read, the author, this guy named Paul, writes this letter from prison, Roman imprisonment, and he's writing to this special church that held a special place in the Apostle Paul's heart. And he begins by saying that, Thank you for your love. I'm in prison, and there are people out there that are preaching the gospel with good intentions. There are people out there that are preaching the gospel with bad intentions. But Paul's life is so consumed by his love for Jesus that he says, whether they do it for good or bad reasons, I'm just glad that Jesus is being proclaimed. That, in sum, encapsulates the Apostle Paul's heart. He just is glad that Jesus and his message is out there. But what I want to talk with you and discuss with you here today is how do you become like that? How are you in your life and decisions so consumed about who Jesus is and find so much joy in this world that everything about you in some ways is directed by the gospel of Jesus? And one way we can consider this and frame the discussion is to say, how do you discern, how do you define, how do you frame and understand the meaning of life? That's a question that philosophers have been asking throughout the generation since the beginning of time. How do you define life? 
Because there's different perspectives out there in this world. You know, there's what they call the existential meaning, which basically says follow that north star in your heart and you could create and define your life and meaning through your individual choices. Another perspective is the hedonistic meaning, basically says the meaning of life is through pleasure and joy and happiness, and that you can indulge in the passions of the now and indulge in the heart's desires, even if they are contrary to God's word, because that hedonistic pleasure and happiness brings ultimate joy to your life. That's another perspective. You have a humanistic perspective that basically says, I'm going to actualize my potential. You know, I need to make myself better, and if I could reach my full potential, then I know that I'll experience full joy. See, what Christianity offers it's not to say that there's not real meaning in these other perspectives, but it's saying it's, that's not the ultimate meaning. It's not the paradigm or the power for true living and true joy and contentment. Because Christianity is not necessarily just opposed to those views. It can see there's overlap. But the Apostle Paul, he essentially defines the meaning of life in verse 21. He says, to live is Christ, to be with Christ which is a very grammatically weird way to define it, but we're going to explore that. Why? Why is this a better approach to the meaning of life versus all the other perspectives out there? And one thing we can look at is that Paul not only taught it, but he lived it. Because he's writing this from prison, and he's saying, whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to be content. A life and death situation, he views this catastrophic situation, but with he's calm and he's cool, he's content. Now, you and I may not face life and death situations, but we face different situations all the time, things that stress us out, things that make us embarrassed, things that make us uncertain and bring a lot of like, pressure. There's a lot of mental health issues. And I'm not going to discount all of that, but if the Apostle Paul can face literally life and death and face these two options, whether I live or die, and he faces it with calm, cool, joy, and gratitude, that means he must have something, he figures something out in life that you and I could benefit from. Isn't that the case? To face anything in this world, imagine, any uncertainty, any peculiarity, that you could face the difficulties of life, be honest about life, but yet face the repercussions and the choices before you with a sense of joy and contentment, a cool, calm collectedness. If you want to be like that in life and not be this, on the one hand, super exaggerated in your stress and anxiety, and another time be completely depressed or completely joyful and hedonistic, but also really down and low self-esteem about yourself. If you want to be cool, calm, and collected, then the Apostle Paul has the meaning of life for you. So two simple points here today. We're going to look at how Paul defines life, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves. Because he's found this discovery, he's found the trick to life, he's found the meaning of life that allows him to face anything in life and still be content and thankful. Two points. First, we're going to look at how he defines life, verse 21. What is life with Christ? What does he mean by that? The definition of life. And then secondly, we're going to look at the application of that life. Really simple. The definition of life and then draw two or three applications from this. That's where we're headed. So let's look at the definition. Let's look at how, how Paul and Christianity frames the meaning of life, how, how he defines it, how he understands it, because it's not necessarily opposed to every other worldview, but it does get something better. And so let's look at how he understands life. Now in verse 20, Paul says he really wants or desires Jesus to be honored in life or death. And you're thinking, how is he able to be like this? And he goes into verse 21, and he basically is a pastor, and he says, I'm going to open up my heart. 
I'm going to show you what, what's really deep inside. He lets us in on his feelings. He opens up with vulnerability on his thinking, this sort of debate that he has with himself. And it comes to us in verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how he, how he presents the conundrum, the presents the, the issue. That's how he's thinking about this. Now, these are famous words. They're on bumper stickers. They're on, on like plaques for Christian bookstores. It's famous. For to me, is Christ, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is easily Paul's epitaph on his, on his tombstone. They sum up wonderfully, even perhaps better than any passage in Scripture, the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul, what made him tick. Jesus is all to me. That's what he's saying. Whether I live or die, Christ is everything. I want that. He needs him. He wants Jesus. And that's basically what he's saying here. What's interesting is that, you know, for you grammatical nerds out there, in the Greek, that verb, that, that, that verse there has no verbs. Literally in the Greek, it's just two simple clauses. And some of the commentators say the reason there's no verbs because Paul is so emotional and he's so taken aback about his love for Jesus that he can't speak as eloquently or clearly. So it's literally translated, for to me the life, Christ, and the death, gain. There's no verb. To me the life, Christ, the death, comma, gain. This is essentially the calculus of the Apostle Paul's life. This is his math, the equation of life. Life equals Jesus, death equals gain. Because either way, the equation ends on Jesus. This is life equals Jesus, but death is a gain of Jesus. So either way, life or death, Jesus is all in all. That's his secret. That's, his, that's, that's a trick for Paul. That's why he could face life or death and say, I'm still praying for others. I'm still happy and I'm content. Now, this tells us something, friends. It tells us at least we could be open to the fact that as good as hedonistic views are, joy and happiness, pleasure of food and vacation and physical intimacy, all those things which God has created and is good is actually not as good as a relationship with Jesus. And as much as self-actualization could be, in theory, beneficial because you want to reach your full potential and be all that you can be, be productive and be happy and mature and grow, and Christianity believes on that, but it just says it happens through your relationship with Jesus, and that will bring you ultimate joy. So when Paul says here, in this calculus, for to me the life, Christ, and the death, gain, he's saying, no matter what the world offers, I'm giving you a key to life that will allow you to truly be happy, everlasting happiness, everlasting joy. He's all satisfying. That's how he defines life. By stating, in other words, friends, to live as Christ, Paul is highlighting the transformative power of his relationship with Jesus. It means that Jesus was the source of Paul's identity, it wasn't his resume. It was the source of his purpose in life, not individual actualization or love or money. And it directed the path of his life. Paul's life, in other words, was characterized by a deep intimacy with Jesus. So his actions and his thoughts and his motivations were all influenced and guided by the cross. To live as Christ implies that Paul is no longer about himself, but living in a way that honors and reflects the nature, the teachings, and the purpose of Jesus for him. It was a complete surrender. It signifies a complete commitment 
to the lordship of Jesus, a willingness to follow his example in every aspect of life. And what Paul is saying is that this isn't just going to be slavery. He's saying this is actually joy to have Jesus as a sum and center of his life. I mean, if you even think about this, to live is Christ. It's actually, it's not very eloquent. It's just math. To live equals Jesus. He's not saying to live is following Jesus, to live is learning from Jesus, to live is to be like Jesus. He's just saying life is Jesus. It's all-encompassing. That's the only way that he could explain this, to say Jesus is about your thinking, Jesus is about your feeling, Jesus is about your accomplishments, Jesus is about your economy, Jesus is about your politics. He doesn't say in any verse here, he just says to live is Jesus. And that's his succinct way to say the sum and center that radiates out through every decision and emotion of your life is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. His joy, in other words, his joy and confidence were not tied down to any circumstances. It wasn't. It wasn't tied down in this life, but to this one relationship, this one brilliant truth, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And he's literally contrasting life and death. Which one will I choose? He's saying both is great. But if I had a choice, Paul says, I'd rather be with Jesus because he's contemplating ultimate life. Jesus is so big for him, directs all of his actions that, of course, if he had a choice to live or to die, he'd rather be with Jesus in all that he says. But this is where an application for you and me. In verses 24 to 25, he says, If I live, it is for you, your joy and faith. But if I leave, he literally says in verse 23, it's far better. Literally in 23, he says, it's much rather better. He, in other words, Jesus is so much part of him that he's thinking about this contemplating life. If I die and I go to Jesus, that's far better. It's much better. It's by far the best. That's how commentators translate this. But he says, if I stay on this earth, it's going to be for people. That's, you know, the apostle Paul, there's a, you see, you could get like Paul too. He's a monster of a theologian. He is, man, he is the man. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament, but in his thinking, he's saying, I want to be with Jesus because life equals Jesus. But if I stay here on this earth, it's going to be because of my love for you. For myself, I'll choose Jesus. For you, I'm going to choose Jesus to stay here. That's how the Apostle Paul is. Let's kind of contrast this a little bit. When you and I think about life and death, we don't think, I want to be with Jesus, but I'll stay in this world because I want to love people in this world. We don't think like that. Our decisions are really dictated by other factors. We think what is good or better, or what is bad and good. But here, what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us is this. In contrast to the way that you and I think, we often think about life and death in a way that says... um, you know, this, this world is, uh, is so good. You know, this world is so brilliant. This world is so enjoyable. And we think, I build up my resume and all my pleasures and all my accomplishments, and I just want to stay in this world because we literally think earth is heaven on this globe. And we want to stay in this world because we think heaven has nothing better to offer to us. But then others of you think, like, this life is so good that all we have accomplished and achieved in this world that, that you know, nothing in heaven can actually be better than this. Will there be vacation? Will there be the same foods? Well, what the Apostle Paul here is basically trying to say is that as good as this world is, it's only a hint and shadow of what it is to be with Jesus in full glory and blessing. Jesus actually is reflected in a shadow form in this world. Jesus is so much better. See, one Puritan stated it simply this way. He says, the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is this. 
A non-Christian, when you just present him heaven and hell, says a non-Christian will choose heaven over hell. But a Christian, a believer, follower of Jesus, would choose heaven over the world. I think a non-Christian, and sometimes you and I, would choose this world over heaven because we think this world is really so good. And what Paul is saying is that he's rubbing up against that. For those of you who enjoy life and says, I, this is the life. You know, don't you sometimes, this is the life. That's how we define it. You're on vacation. You're, you're doing well in your career. Your family is doing well. And we celebrate that at this church. But if you think the end all and be all of life is just this world on earth, and you're saying, this is the life, Paul is saying, no, it's not. It's a, it pales in comparison to life of Jesus. Now, here's the other part. Others of you think this world is horrible. You're going through a lot. Your relationships and marriage, you know, everything is just depressing. And you have a lot of reasons to be like that. Life has been difficult. It's been challenging. It's not easy. So your view isn't to say, well, life on earth is so good. Your view is saying, I just want to get away from this world because there's too much pain and there's too much hurt. You know, wasn't it Shakespeare and Hamlet that basically said, our consciences make us cowards of us all? And basically what Shakespeare is saying is that we look at ourselves and we're not sure about the future. We're uncertain about the future because we know our choices really make a difference and we have a lot of corruption in our hearts. And so we're worried about the future and we're scared about this world and this world is just a place that is broken and is, is a disease and it's just not something we celebrate. And so whether you think this world is great or whether you think this world is horrible, Paul is saying either way, the gospel speaks into both. It's better than the goodness of this world to have life with Christ, but it also gives you the power to suffer in this world when you think everything in this world is corrupt and broken, dark and dreary. A UPenn student who had suicidal tendencies, I read in a counseling article, once said, as he looked into the river somewhere in Pennsylvania, he said that all he sees in the waves and water is an ocean of peace a release from the pain and tragedy of this world. And that's why he wants to escape. Some of you may have known this girl by the name of Madison Holleran. She was a student at the University of Pennsylvania. And by all measures, she was the American girl. She was bright. She was popular. She was on a track scholarship. She was at an Ivy League school. She was a beautiful person. And she had a wonderful family and wonderful friends until that one faithful night, she went up to the top of the parking structure, and as a track star, she looked out into the sky, ran as fast as she could, and she jumped off the parking structure to the end of her life. Because behind it all, through her performance, through her resume, through the intensity and comparison of social media, Maddie Holleran, who looked by all measures the perfect girl, was disintegrating inside because of the brokenness of this world. Her story is recorded in a book called What Made Maddie Run. My point is this, friends. We could sway on either side to say, this is a life and the world is good. Or we could say, we're disintegrating inside. And what Christianity has to offer, what Paul is saying in this life and death situation and choice is to say, Jesus is so much better than anything good in this world. It's going to be better than your accomplishments, better than your pleasures. Jesus will be so much fuller and everlasting. But he also says to the Madison Hollands of the world, yes, this world is broken. There's a lot of pressure. We're deeply empathetic. But Jesus is still able to give you the power and the grace to suffer well and to get through. 
See, in other words, if we view this world and say the world is all there is and it's really good and I'm going to find my identity in it and I'm going to indulge and find my ultimate happiness in this world, Paul is saying, no, Jesus is better. But he also says, you know, this world is hard and it's broken, but if your view of this world is saying, curse the world and everything in the world is bad and I just want to leave this world as a form of escapism, the Apostle Paul says, no, the world is bad, it is broken. You don't want to escape from it, but you want to gain Jesus Christ as you leave and redeem the world. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, to be with Jesus is everything for me, but I'm going to stay here in this brokenness of this world for you. It's not a decision between good and bad. It's a decision between good and better for Paul. To be in this world and to live for Jesus, for this broken world is good, it's better just to be with Jesus. You know, one pastor explained it this way. He says in a real-life story as a member of his church, there was a woman, a mother, who was, who was struggling with cancer, and her prognosis came to the end. She had maybe uh, a couple of weeks left, and she says she made resolve as a Christian to pass away from this world. She was ready. She was, she was ready to pass on. And she was ready to go in that moment, even if she lived another couple of weeks or months longer, until her daughter walked into the room of the hospital and basically said, Mommy, I need my shoes tied. And she said in her heart, this verse resonated, I'm ready to go and be with Jesus, but I'm going to stay here because shoes need to be tied. That's our perspective on life. That, that's, what the Paul, that's the key for Paul. Life with Jesus is going to be so much better. The world is good, but it's not ultimate. The world is really bad and hard, but you don't want to just escape from it. You want to be into it and suffer through it. That's the Apostle Paul's heart. That's how he defines it. So let's look at the second point. That's his framing. That's his meaning. That's his definition. He's saying life with Jesus, the sum and center of his life, what guides him, what satisfies him, what forgives him, what is so much better than any other place and purpose in this world is following Jesus. Whether the world is great or whether the world is hard, Jesus has an answer for both. But let's draw a couple of applications. Two, in fact. Well, in verse 18, Paul says, I will rejoice. And then in verse 19 to 20, he gives two reasons, two applications for drawing out this joy in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 19, you know, I will rejoice for, because, because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, the first application is this. In your definition of life that to live with Christ, what Paul's drawing out is saying that if you want to live with Christ, you have to live with Christians. That's what he's saying. You can't live this individualistic life. You are dependent upon one another. In fact, it's saying that if you want the fullness of the joy of Jesus Christ to live this life that Paul promises in the gospel, it means to live with Christ means to live with Christians. That's what he says. I know through your prayers that the help of the Spirit will turn out for my deliverance. Now, that deliverance could be from prison or it could be salvation. Maybe it's a little bit of both, like Sinclair Ferguson says. But this one scholar, this guy named Moses Silva, makes a comment about this. He says, the point to note here about Paul is that his personal growth, personal healing, personal salvation, personal sanctification never happens in isolation as a loner, but it happens actually through a partnership and support of the church. The church is gathering to pray, give the apostle Paul spirit, give the apostle Paul deliverance. And Paul's spiritual Christian life to live in joy is not separated out from the church. In fact, it was designed to grow in combination and partnership with the church. It's a blessedness for him to receive the Spirit. It happens in connection with the Spirit. That's what Moses Silva says. You know, I, I think the Apostle Paul, maybe on one measure, would say the attendance of a prayer meeting at the church 
is a good barometer of the love of the members of the local church. As we pray for each other and ask for the Spirit to speak to us, it's really the barometer. It gauges the temperature of a congregation as a whole. How well does New Life Press care for one another? In a practical way, how good is our attendance at prayer meetings that we have? Because that's one lesson in application that Paul is saying. He's saying if you live with Christ, you have to live with Christians because you live in community. See, the prevalent individualistic mindset in America leads us to be isolated because if we're individualistic, then we just want our preferences and our joy, and that's why we cut off people, we find new friends, we cut them off. Everything's catered to the individual, but it makes you really isolated, really alone, really by yourself, and it promotes self-centeredness because when you live an individualistic life, it makes you competitive. You fight for resources, you fight for acclamation, you fight for glory. So when you live in an individualistic world like America, it makes you lonelier and more isolated, and it makes you self-centered and competitive. But the key to life with Jesus is to say, to live with Christ means to live with Christians. He would contrast this with the communal aspect of the Christian faith, emphasizing that to live as Christ means being part of a greater community a greater commonality with believers, to share a common life and mission, to love one another in community and other-centeredness. So one of the applications to live with Christ is to figure out how can I live with Christians better? How is my sanctification dependent upon another person in this room? But here's the second application. The second application is that a person who says to themselves, to live as Christ will not only rejoice in community, but an application is that they're going to honor Jesus in their lives. So what are two applications? One, you're going to have community in opposition to an individualistic life. But the second thing is say the heart for Paul as he lives in this world, to tie the shoelaces of people around him, is to honor Jesus Christ in verse 20. Let's read verse 20. It says this. I will not be at all ashamed. And he's talking about before God. But that will but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Now let's talk about what it means to honor Jesus in your body and life and death. Paul's looking at his life. He says, whether I live or die, I'm going to rejoice. But because I'm on this earth, I'm going to tie shoelaces for people who need me. I'm going to honor Jesus in my life. One application to know that you really find your definition to be with Jesus in a relationship as the definition meaning of your life is that you will magnify Jesus in your life. The reason I say magnify is because that word for honor can also be translated as magnify. Actually, I don't, I don't know children. I don't know if you ever used a magnifying glass. I used to do that all the time when I was in elementary school. You know, I used to burn leaves. I used to, uh, I used to burn ants. I used to do all kinds of things with a magnifying glass. It was really fun. A magnifying glass makes things really big. One way to kind of think about what this means for your life is this. There's a difference between a microscope and a telescope. A microscope takes small things and makes it really big. But what Paul says, I want to magnify Jesus in my body, he's not necessarily talking about being a microscope. He's talking about being a telescope. A telescope takes large things that are far away and makes them seem really close. And so for the Roman guard, because remember, he's in prison, for his church in Philippi, for the guards that he's attached to, he's saying, I'm going to be a telescope. I'm going to magnify Jesus because Jesus is so far from them. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know the gospel. They don't know what it means to love people in Jesus. They don't know what it means to be life in Christ. 
So he says, I'm going to take something that seems so foreign, and I'm going to be a telescope and make it appear really big and close. Does that make sense? You actually are called to do both, to be a microscope and telescope for Jesus. But here, Paul is saying, I'm going to be a telescope. Marriage, by the way, is more of a microscope because you're one flesh, you're intimate. No one's going to know you better than your children and your spouse. That's why in the gospel of marriage, you're supposed to be a microscope because they're going to be scrutinized. They'll look at every time you're impatient. Your spouse will see every time that you talk back, all your laziness, all your sins, all your hidden skeletons in the closet. But in those small detailed moments, under the microscope of marriage, the gospel of Jesus Christ will make Jesus seem bigger through grace, forgiveness, doing life together. But the workplace, the strangers at Starbucks, that's when you're going to be a telescope because they don't know the details of your life. That's where you bring something like Jesus that seems so far away. And how do you bring that? How does, does that have any impact upon your work as a doctor, as a teacher, as a salesperson, a mechanic, a plumber? Does the gospel have anything to do with this? Are you different in the way that you engage in our Christians and work because you're going to be a telescope for Jesus Christ? You're going to bring something so foreign that you're not going to just live for money and power, but you're going to live for Jesus. Can you bring something so far and magnify it into the life of your world, into the various spheres of your life? There's this one commentator, Ellicott, has once said, my body will be the theater, my body will be the theater in which Christ's glory will be magnified. And that's the Apostle Paul. That was his sense of purpose and identity. It wasn't tied to achievements. It wasn't tied to circumstances. He says, I'm not going to be ashamed for God. That means he has the approval of God, and that approval for God, his life with Jesus, is what made him able to be a telescope for Jesus Christ. To live Christ, to die gain. And by the way, Paul had so much to live for We'll see this later in Philippians 2 and 3, but he had, he had the pedigree, he had the connections, he had the power, he had the influence, he had everything that you and I try to strive for in this world. And even then, the Apostle Paul, with the greatest education and the greatest tutors and the greatest resume, even for him, he says, to live Christ, die, gain. Jesus is for you. We rejoice in this life that is defined by Jesus. Now, if you're hedonistic, there is generally a deeper, everlasting pleasure in your communion with Jesus Christ. If you're humanistic, saying, I want to be my full self and potential, only by the grace of Jesus can you be your full self because you'll be your full image of Jesus Christ. In other words, in contrast to the humanistic perspective, to discover yourself, to actually actualize yourself through personal growth, the gospel will say you can never actually actualize yourself, but you can have your fullest self by receiving from Jesus because everything else in this world says you want to discover yourself, you want to actually actualize your full potential, you have to earn it. Christianity says that'll fail you. This is the only full self that'll make you proud of who you are that is given to you in the image of Jesus Christ. You want the existential meaning for Jesus? Now I want to explore the world and discover who I am, follow the North Star in my heart, and then I'll be happy. But trust me, there's happiness, but it's temporary. Ask people who travel through Europe. They're back in America, back to square one in the everyday matters of life. The only way that you can really find the purpose and discover your unique mission in life is if you follow someone outside of yourself where Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor and disciple the nations for me. Just give it a shot. Be open to this. 
Jesus can really speak into every other different meaning of life, but give you a better perspective and speak into your heart that will give you an everlasting joy, an everlasting patience and calm, cool collectedness to face this world and say, whether I live or die, I'm going to be okay. Because to live is Christ, die is to gain. Close to this. Maybe this old song actually captures it the best. It says, on Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, let's turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a fullness of life, a fullness of life in our relationships and our love. And I pray that we would really center Jesus as the sum and center of our lives and that we could glorify you in all that we do. Help us to apply this life with Christ while we're still here on earth by living with our community, our friends that change and sharpen and challenge us, but also to learn what it means to magnify and be a telescope for Jesus as we seek to find our life grounded in him. Thank you so much, God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.